following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Okay, we are online. If you'd turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew and the ninth chapter, Matthew and chapter 9. I would say go to the beginning of the chapter because we just finished 8, but I'm going to throw a curveball. Am I allowed to do that? I guess so. <laughs> the curveball is please turn to Matthew 9 and the end of the chapter. Um, I, I, uh, I was, here, here's how I was studying today, okay? This gives you a, uh, an insight into sometimes how I do things. I looked at the chapter and I studied, uh, you know, kind of the major outline of it and I prepared how that's going to look in my notes. And, and then what I do is I often will go, I'll, you know, put in major sub points that I see and then I'll go and fill all that in. Well, I got engrossed in the last section of chapter nine and uh, that waylaid me from getting to the earlier parts of the chapter. And I'll tell you, this is very interesting because I was, as I was studying, I thought to pray I was actually, I was encouraged to pray for the national uh, pastors in Chile and Argentina and Uruguay associated with Gospel Mission of South America because of the prayer and praise prompter that GMSA has. And on the 29th is the day to pray for those pastors. And so I prayed for them and I prayed for one in particular that I knew and um, I wanted to reach out to this uh, fellow uh, I'll call him a young pastor. He is a fairly young pastor with a young family, and uh, he's presently without a ministry, and uh, I feel like needs some encouragement, and uh, so I was able to do that and uh, find out where he's at now and what's going on and, and that sort of thing. And uh, while I was studying this, I was speaking with him on the messaging app, and it dawned on me, you know what, I could use some of the words here to send to him and encourage his, his soul. And so I did that, and I hope that tonight I will also be able to do that for you. This passage is um, one of the most moving passages for many a minister of the gospel like myself. And uh, you, you, just, you, you, almost, you almost resonate at the same frequency as this passage does. You can just feel what's going on here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, here it is, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. First, we see the pattern of Jesus' ministry. He went into the cities and the villages. He taught. He preached the good news of the kingdom. And he healed everybody that he found that had a malady. And I, you know, so he traveled, he taught, he preached and he healed. Traveled, taught, preached, and healed. Those four pillars, if you will, of his ministry. Now, healing was not the major focus, nor the majority of his ministry. If you look at it, traveling, teaching, preaching, healing. You might get the idea that he was going around healing, but he was teaching and preaching just as much as healing. 
and the healing was a side of benefit, if you will, basically, with the focus being on the teaching and on the preaching. And notice it says that he preached the gospel of the kingdom and, and healed every sickness. It was also this healing an important way for him to authenticate his ministry. With regard to the number of people affected by this ministry, however, you almost can't, you can't fathom what was happening there. Um, no one in history, in the world, in the history of the world, did what he was doing, even in periods of serious, miraculous activity. Think of Moses, a lot of miracles. Elijah and Elisha, a lot of miracles. But nothing like this. He's going around healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is massive. This is hundreds, if not thousands, of healings. People who, what, couldn't see, couldn't talk, couldn't hear, couldn't stand up straight. Some who were dying, maybe had cancer. Um, so many who were demon-possessed. Uh, curl, you know, withered hands. We see that, illustrations of all these things in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And it's like he went through and just cleared it out. That's why I have this picture in my mind of the Lord Jesus walking the halls upstairs at U Hospital. You know, the A hall, you know those halls, and the B and the C and the D as you move from inside to, to riverside of the hospital and up and down that hall and you get down to the very end on many of the floors on the, that would be on the, let me see now if I have this right, on the west end, I believe it is, is always the ICU. Is that, am I right? I got her. Uh, I, I know when I go there, if I go up the elevators and come out and I walk down the long corridors to the left with the river looking at me this way, uh, I'm going to the ICU end, SICU, ICU, uh, all kinds of, you know, that sort of stuff. And those are the heavy visits. Those are the difficult visits. You've got people on ventilators and you've got beeps and dings and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And it's just the Lord Jesus walking up and down the halls of this hospital floor by floor and just emptying the place out. That's kind of the picture that you have of the Lord when he's doing this. I mean, he's, just, he's going everywhere. Every, all these sicknesses and diseases. It's, not, it's, it's like the disciples, they can't write them all down. They can't write them fast enough. They're just like, look, we're just going to have to summarize a few of these cases that are real, you know, maybe really remarkable or whatever. And uh, Luke 4.43 records Jesus saying, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. So again, I've made a deal about the healing, but you have to remember he's going around doing the teaching and the preaching in order to authenticate his ministry, and yes, it would gather a crowd, that is for sure. Now, the Bible does call out here a little bit of a difference of teaching and preaching, and I think it's, an, it's easy to come up with an intuitive understanding of those things. Think of teaching as systematically going through a subject with students to help them learn about that subject, and think of preaching as the combination of teaching with exhortation to personal change. So preaching is like teaching plus application, right? I can teach till I'm blue in the face, but 
maybe you've noticed sometimes I do that and then I come to the end and I say, now let's think about this for a second. And how does this, what do you do with this? And, and the weight of it can settle on your soul and you say, wow, I, I, I need to do something about that. I need to personally apply this teaching. That's preaching. That's what the Lord is doing in his ministry. Now, as Jesus went along uh, to all these cities, he saw crowds everywhere. It just brings a deep emotion to my heart to think about this. He saw the multitudes everywhere he went, crowds following him, new crowds coming, people falling off because they can't go too far away from home. And he, it says he was moved with compassion. You know, we say it like this. When, when, when uh, you have a situation that moves your soul and uh, a lump might rise in your throat and you say, that got to me. That got to me. It's, this, is, this got to Jesus. He's seeing worn out, unguided people, every man for himself, ignorant, wrongly taught by their religious leaders, occupied by the Roman power, because of the previous idolatry and disobedience of the nation and probably for its ongoing sins as well. They had no one to teach them about the new covenant provisions that were promised, like when Jesus rebuked Nicodemus. Don't you know, Ezekiel, how you've got to be washed with water and be given a new spirit in order to be right with God? Don't you know that, Nicodemus? They didn't know, they didn't have people, you know, the Pharisees preaching about the coming kingdom, about the need for repentance. All they had were religious leaders that were greedy, that laid upon them burdensome regulations with no end in sight, with no hope or anything else. In short, these people were lost. They were lost. And not just a few. Masses of humanity were lost. And it got to his soul. Well, that's the fact of what happened. But here's the preaching about that fact. When you see the masses of humanity, what do you think? Do you feel similarly as the Lord does? Or, or maybe you get angry and upset and call them idiots and complain they don't make the right political decisions maybe because they've been kept in the dark and propagandized and victimized and, oh, I'm not trying to absolve of all responsibility, but maybe they choose sinful things because Christians haven't gotten them the gospel. Right? What do they know better? Are you moved with compassion for them when you see their pathetic state, the broad road that they're on and the eternal end that they face? Is that how you think of people? Or do you think of them as enemies, as dummies? The Lord looked on the multitudes, and the Lord who has every knowledge, who would have every right to be condemnatory towards them because they're sinners, they've rebelled against God, he doesn't do that. He did not come to what? condemn. He did not come to judge primarily. He came to save. Now, he's going to judge as a side effect of what he's done as well, but he was moved with compassion. He was not a 
critical judge of them. And facing this situation, the Lord saw a vast need, a vast need. Now, in the New King James Version, uh, old uh, heading, uh, the old version of this Bible with the heading of the sections, the section heading here is the need, listen to this, this is off, the need for the delegation of power. The need for the delegation of power. And I said, what, what, where does that come from? Well, it actually comes from a combination of things. What the authors or the editors of that Bible are noticing is that Jesus sees a need here. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them power over unclean spirits and to cast them out and so on to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. So they see this need of something and then they see the Lord supplying supposedly that need and so they combine the two ideas and they say, ah, it's the need for power, the delegation of power. But in fact, it's not that. The scriptures tell us that it's not a delegation of power that's needed. It's a delegation of people that's needed. It's a congregation of people that are needed. And so the Lord was speaking more to the need for laborers, not more power for the laborers. In fact, the text says it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest not will give power, but that he will send out laborers into his harvest. As weak and unpowerful, as powerless as those laborers may be with God, they can do what he wants them to do. And uh, there were no new laborers in chapter 10. Who were the laborers in 10? Well, the 12 disciples, right? So they were always with the Lord. There was no new people there. Um, so facing the situation, again, the Lord saw the need for faithful priests. And I get that phrase from 1 Samuel 2.35 where the, the Lord said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. And of course, he's speaking ultimately of the Messiah. But, um, you know, throughout Old Testament history, the uh, priests were uh, rebuked. Malachi, terribly rebuked. Jeremiah, uh, they, were, they were faithless shepherds. They were useless shepherds. Um, and today we would say not faithful priests because there are no you know, office of priests, but we would say that there is a need for faithful pastors and missionaries, a deep need for faithful pastors and missionaries. And let me uh, highlight something in your mind that you may not have noticed before that I think is salient at this point. Normally we think of this passage as a call for missionary workers. They are viewed as the analog to laborers in the passage. When, when we're told to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, we have been trained to immediately think missionary, haven't we? And that is true, but it's only true because it's part of a larger truth. The larger truth is a larger calling which is the need for shepherds of all sorts. Those shepherds could be missionaries, which we would call biblically evangelists, or they could be pastors. The world needs such. In fact, how do I... Well, let me say this first. The world needs faithful shepherds. Every nation needs faithful shepherds. Every state 
and country and county and town needs laborers and not just a few, but many. Let me give you the proof of this assertion that I'm making. Again, I make this assertion. This passage is not only talking about missionaries. It's talking about more than missionaries. Look at verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no what? Not missionary. Shepherd. Now, a missionary is a shepherd, okay? But this passage is talking about God's workers in every corner of his vineyard, and every, of every part-time, full-time, vocational ministry or, or not, including shepherds. The solution to the problem of people who are like sheep having no shepherd is to supply them with shepherds. You with me? Who can gather the sheep, guard the sheep, guide the sheep. And this is what a shepherd's responsibility is. He is to lead, to feed, to protect, and to nurture the flock. That's, those are the four headings under which I think of pastoral ministry. You lead, you have some administrative oversight role. To Where's the church going to head? Well, that, a lot of that rests on the elder or the elders in the church as to the direction. What about teaching, or uh, rather feeding? Well, feeding is accomplished in the church context by teaching. That's how you feed. You feed the Word of God. So you lead, you feed, you protect the flock. What does that mean? Well, you have to exercise, watch care over the flock. Sometimes there are wolves from outside that want to come in and do damage to the flock, feed them bad food, bad teaching. Other times there are people that rise up from within. There's, there's leaven inside that needs to be addressed. You need to care for the flock that way. And then nurture. Nurture I think of as different than administering and different than teaching and preaching and different than watch care, but it's got to do with pastoral counsel, nurturing somebody. There are some who... You know, some, as Paul says, you need to uh, admonish those that are, you know, rebellious, and you need to uphold the weak. And there is a real place for that in pastoral care when somebody's on their deathbed or somebody's lost a loved one. You know, they don't need a lot of teaching, they don't need a lot of leading, they don't need a lot of protection, really. They need. Just uh, pastoral care. Yeah. All of life's circumstances demand that kind of, of ministry. Leading, feeding, protecting, and nurturing. That is, administering, teaching, providing watch care, and pastoral advice and counsel. I'm thinking of this even apart from the harvest of souls, my friends. That, that should definitely be happening. But entire communities and, of course, churches need to have shepherds to guide them. Men who are shepherds need to know the state of their flock. Proverbs 27, 23. They need to understand the times in which they live, like the men of Issachar, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And most importantly, they must hold fast and teach God's word, 2 Timothy 3. You've known from childhood the Holy Scriptures. They're able to make you wise unto salvation 
because they're God-breathed and profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. So you've got to know the times and you've got to know the flock and especially you've got to know the word. They have to know the, the shepherds do, the, the word of God, the state of the people entrusted to their care and the circumstances that surround their people. I mean, think about it. You can't pastor without having an understanding of God's word, certainly. And you should not be blind to what's going on outside because all that stuff is infiltrating into your people's lives today through all kinds of media channels right into the home for many hours potentially every day. And you have to know the state of the people themselves, else how can you preach to the needs that they have, the needs for God's grace or His forgiveness or or some doctrinal matter that they're confused about or you know, uh, comfort one another with these words, the Apostle Paul says, when somebody dies, First Thessalonians chapter 4, and so on. You have to know your flock, know your Bible, and know the circumstances in which you live. You're not able... So again, I go back to that point. This is talking about the need for shepherds of all sorts, of all shapes, of all sizes, not just missionaries. To fix the problem of people and your thinking in your mind's eye of the masses of humanity that are heading out with no leadership, with no teaching, with no protection. They have no clue what is happening to them. They're being led and blown about by every wind of doctrine and they just don't know. And the Lord looks at that and says, this is a bad situation. This is a bad situation. We need help. Now, you're not likely to be able to go to all the cities and villages like our Lord did. You're likely, uh, no, you're, you're very likely not going to be able to heal like the Lord did. There's no healing gift today. But you are able to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom. You are able to be moved with compassion when you see the pathetic state of the mass of humanity that does not know God, and you are able to see a plentiful harvest and the need for God to send more shepherds. You can do that. You can participate in that. And I implore you to do that today. Some of us are called to be pastors. Others of us are called to the ministry of asking God to raise up pastors, shepherds, missionaries, evangelists. But we all have a role here. We certainly have a role when we see somebody that's lost and going astray, to say, hey, brother or sister, let me help you. Let me give you some guidance. You're confused about this? I can help you. And uh, please do. Take those opportunities to do that. And be like the Lord who had compassion, moving his heart as he saw the people in their lost state. Heavenly Father, tonight we thank you for the privilege to look at your word and to think about this portion just for a few moments has been moving to my soul, and I pray that it's impacted these folks something like what it has to me, that we would realize that there's something more to life than just going bouncing back and forth like a pinball on a pinball machine. There's something eternally significant about life, and I pray that you'd help us to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen.